Okay, we're now joined by our amazing panel. So thank you very much for coming to talk to us about financial forecasting. And we're going to make this the most exciting financial forecasting <laughs> panel ever because it's not immediately something that uh, grabs the attention as being very sexy, is it? Um, although you might disagree, Andrew Harding. Yes? I would totally disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand people who don't think it is. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we are also joined by Tim Vine. Hello. Hi. Good. Good afternoon, nice welcome. And Trisha, hi, how are you doing this afternoon? And we have Andrew Collis. Can you hear me, Andrew? I can do. Good afternoon. Ah, CFO of Moneypenny. So for anybody who doesn't know, Moneypenny is an outsourced PA service. Um, and of course, we've had some of your um, uh, senior leadership speaking here before. And I interviewed Joanna Swash actually not so long ago for the paper. So, financial forecasting, who wants to go first? What are some of the mistakes that people make when they think about financial forecasting? You know, common errors. If I could start off with you, Guy. Um, well, it's, it's very easy to... Uh, it's, it's very easy to think that your revenue is going to come in as you predict and that your expenses are only going to be as high as you predict. Mm -hmm. And the answer is that they never are. The revenue always takes a lot longer to come in than you think, and the expenses are always much higher than you think. So that's, that's the basic rule. Mm -hmm. Okay, good, good <laughs> advice. Uh, and, how, and how about you, uh, Andrew? What, what would be your kind of tip there? What are some of the on entrepreneurial errors? Uh, I, I mean, for me, your, your financial forecast has to, be, has to be realistic. It becomes your guiding light. Um, you know, we, Everyone has a plan until they get punched, as Mike Tyson said. Um, you have your financial forecast. You need to keep on going back to it. It's not set in stone. It moves. It's about what comes in when, what goes out when, what you need at what point in time. And realism is, abs is absolutely, absolutely key to that. Um, you shouldn't be ashamed about not getting it spot on right, but you constantly fine-tune it. Mm -hmm. And Andrew Collis, uh, hello, good afternoon. Um, what would be some of your kind of tips? What are some of the errors that perhaps, you know, you'd like to share with the group? We've all got kind of war wounds from things earlier in our career. Where perhaps have you not got it completely right in the past? Yeah, um, I'd agree with what Andrew just said as well. It's, it's, it's an iterative um, process in terms of forecast. Everyone has a, an annual budget or a forecast, but actually it's a case of constantly revisiting that every month or two months and updating it. Bus business moves on, things things change, um, assumptions behind that forecast change both internally and, and externally. So it's, it's updating that continuously um, and adapting and then flexing the business accordingly, um, whether that's controlling overheads further or investing more in marketing to, to drive some revenue growth. Um, it's it's all it's all those things um, that that make it um, valuable to the business um, on a continued basis. Um, errors, I've seen lots of different errors in, in my experience. Uh, probably the the biggest one is almost it being a little bit too simplistic in terms of the financials, in terms of oh there's a revenue number, um, these are some overheads. But actually understand what the the key drivers are behind behind those lines, and particularly those important lines. So it's if it's revenue, what do you have to sell to drive that revenue? Is it a certain number of a product line or certain amounts of different services? Um, 
on what are those key drivers behind those services or, or product lines. So again, as you you flex it, and you return to those forecasts, you you understand the drivers and they're, they're easy to update and you can manage your business accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew, before before you're off the hook there, just give everyone a flavour of the size of business now because Moneypenny is incredibly impressive. It's grown super fast. So just remind us, how many staff have you got? What turnover are we talking about here? Um, so Staff-wise, we're 1,100 people, UK and US. We've got nearly 250 people in the US now. Um, Revenue-wise, from a group, um, we'll do over £60 million revenue this year. Um, so, so yeah, 25% of that is now from the US, which is great. Um, the, the opportunity in the US is, is huge. And just uh, quickly on that, so obviously you've, you've made an acquisition, or is it two acquisitions recently, and obviously expanding your US business all the time. How much more difficult does that make your job in terms of forecasting, you know, with a new market to consider? Yeah, so we've made one recently, um, but we are, we are looking at other ones as well. So um, that, that's the fun, isn't it? Because in terms of growing a business, that's, the, that's what you want to be doing. You want to be growing organically and... If there are acquisition opportunities, then fantastic. And it's it's understanding where the value of those acquisitions are. Is it um, obviously incremental revenue, but are there are there synergies that can be obtained from, from those acquisitions? And, and being accurate and forecasting those out um, is really important. So you can whether it's to your board, to to your bank, or to investors, you can articulate the value of those acquisitions um, from a forecast perspective. Um, one of the challenges there is sometimes when you're buying a business, the it's, it's new to you, isn't it? So it's uh, not knowing that business before. So actually getting getting underneath the skin and under, understand those those drivers is is really important and often more difficult, which comes to communicating with the 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 vendors of of that business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much for those contributions. We will come back to you. So, Trisha, I'd like to hear from you now. Um, when I speak to entrepreneurs, particularly when they're first starting out, and I know there's a few of those in the room today, I think there's a lot of terminology. There's kind of forecasting, there's business plans, you know. Just give us a bit of context. What's the difference? And, you know, what, what matters? What matters when you're coming to draw together those plans? Oh, wait. Good question, actually, because when you're forecasting, and especially when you're new, you've never possibly done a business plan. So a business plan isn't always your financial plan. It's why you're doing it, what your competitors are doing, and then what you want to be doing, what makes you different, and what numbers you can realistically put in in the time you've got and the knowledge skills you've got. So creating your financial plan based on, on, on your business plan it doesn't have to be massive doesn't have to be reams and reams it on, on a one page sometimes when you're starting out or when you're a really small business um, and it's just probably capturing four or five key numbers because again as a startup or a, a, or someone who hasn't been in business a long time you don't always know your numbers you're not always comfortable with that so just capturing the key key numbers that you feel you can reach and then looking back reviewing that regularly because business owners sometimes make a plan, put it in a drawer and get on with the day-to-day. Get it out, review it, cross it off, change it with what you've learned. Because I think a, a, a huge bit about starting up is the learning process. Mm-hmm. So it's getting your goals in, putting a plan together. And the big circle around between that is the learning. 
Mm -hmm. And what are some good resources? Can you literally go to the internet and type in how to do a business plan or how to do a financial forecast? Or do you always need to consult an expert to help you with that? I'm sure there's lots of people on the panel that would say an expert is absolutely what you need. Speaking to people is important and there's so much out there for, for business owners right now. You can speak... Uh, I, look, I look at th three letters, A, B, C. Speak to your accountant, A. Speak to your banker. Banks do so much, and speak to your coach. Um, so if, you, if if people can, if business owners, even if new or however long they've been in business, it's that other perspective. Um, and if some, if you're in a business um, that has been a, in the industry that's been around a long time and it's not com totally niche and innovative, then there's lots of experience available. Mm -hmm. So Google isn't your only answer, but there is a lot on Google. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I could talk about Action Coach as well, and there's Action Plan, Action Cash that they can go for. Mm -hmm. So th there's quite a lot available. And what would you say, Guy? I mean, how good are entrepreneurs at knowing their numbers? We've all seen those really cringy Dragon's Den episodes, haven't we? <laughs> but they get absolutely lambasted for not knowing their numbers. Is there any excuse for not knowing your numbers? I think... Most entrepreneurs are terribly interested in making a sale mm -hmm. um, and dealing with the more exciting parts of the business. Uh, Well-rounded entrepreneurs get the importance of the finance function and get the importance of not running out of money mm -hmm. uh, and therefore make sure that they have that covered. Uh, hopefully, they'll, they'll you know, give it more than a passing look themselves. But actually, as long as you've got a safe pair of hands looking after it, then, then that's okay. But my experience of, of entrepreneurs generally is they're much more interested in, in the top line than actually dealing with the administration. And a number of entrepreneurs go bankrupt because of that. They take on orders they can't finance. Uh, they run out of money. And you know, even though they've got a fantastic business idea and plenty of sales in the pipeline. Absolutely. And I must say, we were talking earlier about that column I write called How I Made It. And the number of entrepreneurs who tell me that one of their biggest mistakes they made was nearly running out of cash. Or they have, you know, they've literally got down to the last five quid in their bank account. It's astonishing, astonishingly yeah. common, isn't it? it amongst is. entrepreneurs. It yeah. So... So how, how do you make sure that this doesn't happen when it comes to cash flow? You know, cash is king. We hear it all the time. So is it just, as you say, keeping a close eye on those numbers? Well, I think, you know, financial forecasts, as I said, are always overly optimistic, right? And um, doing a financial forecast is a bit like a good wine. It improves with age. You know, as the years go by and you run your business, you get to know what the norms are, what the parameters are. You know, the first year you'll put down your forecast and they'll be completely wrong uh, because you have no idea what you're doing. The second year you'll be a bit better. The third year you'll be a bit better than that. Um, but my, my view is that you need lots and lots of headroom uh, in, a, in a business. You need to know you've got access to cash. Uh, if you're going to start trying to grow a business fast, you need to know that there's that finance in the background somewhere because otherwise you're taking massive risks. Mm -hmm. And we all know at the moment that costs are, you know, they're, they're fluid, right? We've seen all of the headlines around energy price increases. If you're in products, you might have problems with the supply chain, shipping, etc. So in fact, you know, kind of building in that headwind is, uh, headroom has never been more important. Um, do you think that's a fair observation, Andrew? Do you think that, you know, costs at the moment are increasing? Obviously, we've had COVID, we've had Brexit. It's never been more uncertain, really, has it? No, it hasn't. But we... We kind of knew we were going into this environment pre-pandemic. 
Now, I'd sat down with my teams and we'd said, end of 2019, corporate resilience is going to be our theme. And I think you know, none of us were anticipating the pandemic. That's a risk which wasn't on anyone's register, unless they've got a 20-year-old register when they were worried about bird flu. Um, but you know, what we've seen then, since then, is we've obviously got supply chains, we've got inflation, and we've got, we've got what's going on in Ukraine. Um, you know, I'm talking to I'm talking to Chinese CFOs, and they're saying that supply chains are as bad today, after 10 days of that war, as they were as they were mid-April 2020, and it's happened that quickly. You know, if you're worried about supply chains, forget the pandemic. The war the war that's going on at the moment is doing much more damage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that res that resilience thing, headroom, however you want to however you want to describe it. You know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. It's it's a pretty good it's a pretty good maxim. Um, you know, we're talk, talking about how often do you reforecast that sort of thing. You know, in th those early days of the pandemic, businesses in April 2020 they were scenario planning. They were reforecasting every week. Typically, stable businesses will reforecast two or three times a year max, but they were doing it weekly. And I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to go back to two or three times a year. There's so much stuff moving around, um, and you just you can you can't afford not to be on top of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tim, I could see you nodding along there. You know, we're talking about risk and balancing risk. You know, what are you seeing amongst your clients? Yeah, so we see an increased pressure on cash flow from late payments, particularly for small businesses. Um, we conducted a survey of, I think it was a couple of thousand small businesses 18 months ago during pandemic, and really telling stat. I think the average amount of late payment debt that a small business carried was over £130,000. And that's money they expect to collect and it's later than they would have planned for. And I think the, the point around preparing for the rainy day scenario is absolutely key. Um, a forecast can't be wrong because it's looking into the future at the point that it's written, but it can be incomplete. And um, I think incorporating the potential of something bad happening within the forecast is absolutely critical to avoid running away with the excitement of the top line number and then realizing there's bottom line cash flow and i think the, the payment on the payment pressure or the late payment pressure on smes was exacerbated through the pandemic will continue to increase um, and there's various measures in place to try to counteract that the prompt payment code and others but um, I, I would reinforce the importance of planning for the rainy day scenario and not being too over optimistic. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned late payments. I think ever since I've been writing about this space, it's like a perennial issue, isn't it? And yeah, it must be incredibly frustrating. Um, so Andrew, I'd like to return to you. We're hearing there about preparing for a rainy day. How prepared are you for a rainy day? Do you have your umbrella and your rain mac? Yeah, exactly. Um, especially, especially living in the north, yes, constantly with the, um, the umbrella. <laughs> Yes, it, and it's it's that point that Tim just made. So, yes, have a forecast, but actually, I always have a plan B in my top drawer. So, if something goes wrong, then I've got a plan B. And I know where I can action. They put the areas that I can action to bring that forecast well back on track and those corrective measures. Um, and actually, if you have a plan C, then you're in a really good place. Um, if you get through plan B and plan C, then something something's going wrong. But um, yeah, that's I think that's that's the key is, is is having those scenarios and preparing for eventualities that that could play through, um, and then you, you're in a much better place rather than suddenly things go wrong. Then you're scrambling around. Oh, 
right, what can I do? How do I solve this? Actually having been through that thought process in advance and right, plan B might not execute exactly as you thought, but at least you've thought about it and some of those things will be, will be relevant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how's your kind of cost base at the moment? Are you seeing fluctuations? Yeah, we, we are. So from all suppliers everywhere, we're, we're seeing um, cost increases. 80% of our costs are, are people. So obviously with um, just the inflationary market, we, we're seeing pressure there around salaries and, and people costs, both in the UK and, and the US. So that's, that's something that we, we're looking at and we, we manage very closely. Um, people are, they're our business, they're our most important asset. So making sure that's, that's taken care of is, is paramount to, to us. Mm -hmm. So taking care of staff, but also taking care of yourself. And I think, you know, in these difficult times as founders, it's really important that we look after our, you know, kind of mental health. Talking about ourselves as we there, I'm not a founder. I just write about you, very impressive people. <laughs> um, but Tricia, on that, on that note, when it comes to the kind of mindset, when things don't go your way, at the moment, you know, it's, it's pretty difficult times. You obviously work as a coach as well. So how can people kind of get back on track if they've lost a key client? You know, those costs are increasing. They're really struggling to kind of keep a lid on things. What's your advice to them? When people are struggling, it's, it's, it's one, number one, talk to someone. Uh, don't bottle it up. Um, and talk to someone you trust. Uh, and there's always a way out. There's all, always a solution. And it's working through those, those solutions. It's, it's, it's looking at when things feel like a problem. It's, it's when you speak to someone, it's learning to say, well, is it a challenge? Where's the opportunity? And sometimes when, th when things feel so tight in your mindset and you get really fixated on the problem, you can't see beyond that. So, and if they have a team around you, it's, it's bringing the team in. If you've got an open culture, if you've developed an open culture, it's speaking to the team. The people on the ground sometimes have, well, quite often actually, have brilliant ideas and it's letting those ideas filter up. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you brought that point up about kind of getting the team involved because it can be really tricky, isn't it? You know, striking the right balance. Mm -hmm. You know, we're having a turbulent time, guys, versus making them terrified they have mortgages to mm -hmm. pay and, and, you know, maybe kids to feed. Tim, what would you be your advice there? Is it, is it best to be as open and transparent as possible or do you have to tread that line and make sure you don't scare them? I think providing the context mm -hmm. is critical. I think if you can provide the context behind the objectives of the company and why certain things are being done in a certain way or in a certain order, then I think it can rally the troops around a common purpose. If you don't have the context, then you're being asked as an individual to make decisions or action things without that broader influence and without really understanding the greater purpose of what, um, of what you're working on. I'll give an example in, in the space that we serve, in the credit space. If you're a credit manager or a credit controller um, and you're not aware of the context of the broader risk position that the company wants to take and how, how risk averse or risk tolerant they want to be, you could be making the best decisions, but in isolation or in contradiction to the strategy of what, how the company wants to move forward. So I'm, I'm a huge advocate of um, kind of all in it together, providing the right amount of context and the right amount of supporting information so that people can connect themselves to a, a greater sense of purpose rather than just purely the responsibilities of their role. I mm -hmm. think it's crucial. 
And do you think, Guy, do you think things have changed in that way, that people, you know, companies are much more transparent about these things in general? Obviously, we have other metrics like gender pay gaps, for example, that just wouldn't have existed 20 years ago. So do you think, yeah, businesses in general are more transparent about challenges they're facing? Absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's not a choice anymore. People expect that of you. Uh, to change strategy and, uh, you know, start making big changes in your business without consulting your team would be unthinkable, I think, mm-hmm. in this day and age. I'm sure it still happens, but, um, but generally speaking, I think it's much more of a collegiate mm-hmm. atmosphere, particularly in smaller companies. It, the bigger the company gets, the, the harder it is to involve everybody in every decision, you know, mm-hmm. because you need a board of directors that's going to actually make these decisions and they need to filter them down. But uh, in... SME-type businesses, I think, you know, it's very much a team approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there any questions from the floor before I've got loads more here? Has every, anyone got a burning question to ask? So, Andrew, coming to you on that question about transparency, how do you handle it at Moneypenny? Because obviously you are one of those larger companies now, right? Uh, you, you, you said earlier how many people you've got now. So, yeah, how transparent can you be with them? Um. So yes, yeah, so from a, a management team perspective, we're very, very transparent in terms of performance of the company and equally people's part that they, they play in that. So they, they have their ownership with whether it be departments or the owner sales figure. So very, very transparent from that perspective. Um, and then we, we communicate to our workforce regularly. So and we do keep people up to date with how we're performing. So it's important that people people come to work and um, they want to know that they're part of business and they're contributing to that business and what do those efforts look like? What, what's my contribution and how does that fit into the, to the, the wider wider organization and wider business? So that's really important around that, that communication. Um, do we go into every single number there is within a a P&L or balance sheet, no, because quite frankly, it bore 99% of people. Um, but those headline numbers, particularly around people get excited around revenue, for example, and talk and talk around that, and then how growth is, for example, um, on a new product or a new service or in the US, um, and, and talk around that. We are, we are transparent around that and, and the growth um, surrounding that. So, um, so yes. Uh, where you can, it's really important to take people along on, on that journey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One more thing I want to explore here is about profitability. So when I'm interviewing businesses, I'm always interested, right? It's not just about that very impressive uh, revenue number. It's also about whether you're making a profit. <coughs> Now, amongst tech companies, it's almost um, uh, unfashionable to make a profit, isn't it? Because it means that you're not investing enough, you're not going fast enough. But for most normal people, you need to make a profit. Don't you? What would you say to that, Andrew? Well, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely right. Um, You know, if you're not making a profit, you're on your way out of business. Mm -hmm. Full full stop. Um, I think, you know, just to pivot back on some of the other things we're thinking about, you know, we talked about how you, how you lead your people, how you engage your people, but it, this is all about connectivity, and everything in a business is, is connected. You do something here, and there's an effect there, and you need to be able to understand that. You need to be able to build that into your business plan, build that into your, build that into your, into your forecasts. If that connectivity isn't, isn't, isn't understood, then you, know, you, stand, you stand no chance of doing 
doing good forecasting. Um, the larger your business gets, the more difficult that can sometimes that can sometimes be. It was interesting you were talking about you know, how the, the smaller of SMEs it's very easy to get everyone engaged. Often the bigger businesses have fantastic systems; they're able to do it. It's the some of the M's in SMEs can really can really struggle with these things. They can struggle to get to critical mass. They can struggle to bring critical resource in, and they lack the nimbleness of the of the smaller businesses to do these things. So it's it's almost as a business grows, it reaches a point where it really needs to double down on this stuff. Mm -hmm. So just a quick word, because it sounds, you know, all, all financial forecasting, it, you know, it might strike the fear of God into some <laughs> people, right? But it can be an enabler. Like, so let's get the energy back when it comes to financial forecasting. This can be like a real enabler, help you to grow, can't it, guys? It's like a tool for your business. I mean, it's essential. You're I mean, supposed the, to be behind me here. The, well, the primary <laughs> reason for doing a financial forecast is to know whether you're going to run out of money or not, isn't it? Let's face it. Um, and we talk about tech companies and profitability and, you know, all the rest of it. As long as you're not going to run out of money um, and you can see your path to a profitability without running out of money, then it doesn't really matter much how much money you spend uh, and, uh, to a certain extent, how you spend it, provided you know there's an endless supply of it as you, as you go along. Um, but yeah, you've, you've got to, um, you know, a traditional business obviously needs to make profits. A tech business these days can sometimes just carry on raising money. Uh, and it is extraordinary how, how, how much they can raise. Uh, you know, uh, based upon very little evidence of success. But there we are. Um, but yeah, financial forecast, the, the key purpose of financial forecast is so you don't run out of cash. Because if you run out of cash, that's the end of your business. Full stop. Wow, I feel like that's too dismal to end on. Trisha, I'm going to count on you to bring us back into the positive mindset. So financial forecasting, how to do it really well. Top tip for our audience here. Top tip on, on financial forecasting, one, do one. Secondly, don't be afraid to goof up on it because it's a forecast, it's not real life and don't run out of money. Okay, great tips there. Thank you so much, all of you, for joining us. Thank you, Andrew, for joining us too, virtually. You guys, please do uh, make your way off the stage and us here, we'll give you a big warm round of applause. Thank you, Guy, yes, please, yes, please, thank you. Thank you very much. So just a reminder that our next keynote session is happening right here on the main stage at 3.30 with Alison Stewart-Allen, which is then going to be followed by a panel directly afterwards on overseas expansion. Uh, and that will be starting at 4 o'clock. And we'll be talking about some of the big buzzwords, Brexit and COVID, two of my favourites. Um, and for those of you in the room, we will see you back here at 3.25. So feel free to go and grab a quick coffee break. Uh, but for those of you joining at home, don't go anywhere. I'm now handing over to Ollie, who is with our panellists. Ollie, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, Hannah. Very interesting panel. I've got lots of uh, remaining questions navig navigating our way through. But I have to say, Hannah, how great was it to hear about Guy's journey? I know. He's so <laughs> inspiring, isn't he? I had, I've got a huge list of questions for him here. So I hope you're going to pick up on something. <laughs> and I, like, I hope you like the fact that I picked up on one of the big questions about foods. I think yeah. that this is a kind of running theme over the last couple of days. No, indeed. Little and often, I say. But no, thank you, Hannah. Really enjoyed thank that. Thank you. Over and, to you, uh, and, and welcome if you're just tuning in, this is Elite Business Live 2022. Uh, we're well on our way through our second day and uh 
hot off the heels of a very interesting panel on uh, on finances, actually. And by the way, how lovely to see the great Guy Rigby in the building today. Guy, come and join me. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's lovely to see you. Nice now, to see you Guy, too. I, I'm allowed to confess to the viewer that you are. We are sort of mates as well because I've I, I've just honestly the first time you told me that you were going to row across the Atlantic, I thought this is. Guy must be a nutter. Well, I, I, was, I was trying to pick my language, but... I, well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. World record set. Yeah. Um, has it changed your, your perspective on life? I think it probably has. I mean, uh, I've done this at a later stage in life than yeah. most people would, so yeah. I'm 69 next month. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's sort of... It, it's quite a big achievement, and you kind of think, well... It's another tick in the box, and I can relax a bit more now mm -hmm. and spend more time with my family and, you know, not worry too much about other stuff, I suppose. You know, it, it changes you a little bit. You can't help but change a little bit as a yeah. result of spending 53 days on the ocean. Yeah, and time will tell, right? We'll see about these time changes. Okay, so um, <laughs> what about someone that's watching? Because actually, kudos for supporting Unlimited, brilliant charity for social entrepreneurs. Please do have a look at that. Um, what about someone that sort of yearns for... An adventure, but maybe something a bit more bite-sized. I can't row across, across the Atlantic. Is it sort of go big or go home? Or have you got advice for us sort of I, mortals? I think in the, in the charity sense, it's much easier to raise a significant amount of money yeah. if you do something big, uh -huh. right? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I'm, my view is you can eat an elephant one bite at a time. Uh -huh. You know, you just keep going. You keep knocking over the next wall, as it yeah. were. And actually, rowing across the Atlantic 53 days isn't a big deal. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, well, no, you, 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 you just get on with it. It's two miles, five, sorry, two hours, five miles, eat, sleep, two hours, five miles, oh, easy. eat, sleep, oh. uh, and you just keep going. And as long as you're not uh, thinking about the end, because the end is, you know, a long way away. Yes. Uh, we did start thinking about the end about 10 days out when we thought we were going to make it in 10 days, and oh. that turned into 14 days. That was frustrating. Yes, especially when you because got off you to start the quick start as exactly. well. Exactly. I was completely hooked, by the way, tracking your journey. <laughs> it was a little dot uh, yeah. on the map. Um, can, can but, I I, but I couldn't climb a mountain, right? Yeah. Which is obviously a quicker, you know, still a massive uh, achievement uh -huh. to climb Everest or something like that, but doesn't take quite as long. Yes. No, I understood. Um, no, you no, know, no, no. I couldn't run 40 marathons back to back. So I just did something I could do. Did, just happened to take rather a long time. <laughs> did, 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 you, did you know you could do it? I felt I could do it. Yeah, I felt, I felt it was, you know, within the realms of possibility. Right. So, so let me ask you a sort of um, slightly more philosophical question about ends. Um, Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. Another school of thought says, go off on an adventure, go off on a journey. Don't obsess. You wrote a book. Mm -hmm. about vision to exit. Mm. So to what extent should entrepreneurs have an end in mind versus enjoying the journey and letting go of that end? So, yeah, my book from vision to exit, the, the, the exit chapter says, why would you sell the best business you'll ever own? Right. But, so the answer is that should be a journey and uh. you should build the best business you possibly can. That gives you options. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So I don't believe in these ready-made, ready-to-sell ideas mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, someone says, well, I'll, I'll start it today and sell it in two years' time. So I agree with the, the whole thing about the journey. I think uh -huh. the journey is the most important thing. You've got to try and enjoy it. You've got to do it as well as you can. You've got to try and survive it 
yeah. all these kinds of things, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm 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 not an exit end of end end game man. No, interesting. So I, I guess the other one, which you must hear all the time, Eisenhower, plans are useless. Planning is everything, and it, 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 it draws an interesting thought to mind around the importance of conversation as well. Well, planning is huge, and I mean, I nearly completely screwed up, nearly cost us our race entry by not having our boat surveyed in time. Ah. I had no idea. I thought the survey was just one of these things you had to go through, uh. Uh, you know, little tick in the box. Uh. Turned out that the port authorities in the Canaries wanted to see your survey certificate by a certain date, and if you didn't have it to them by that date, you wouldn't be allowed in the race. And I was scrabbling around trying to find a boat surveyor with about you know, two days left well, before the deadline. And, uh, and I know of probably a mutual friend who uh, wouldn't have sold their company had it not been for a single piece of paper that the whole multi-million pound deal rested on. And you must have seen that before. Indeed. <laughs> Found it at the bottom of a filing cabinet. Thank goodness. Uh, Guy Rigby, now at large, but of course, uh, a spiritual home in Smith & Williamson and now a global world record holder. Lovely to see you. Thank you very much. See you very soon. Thanks, Guy. Uh, well, moving on, on our sort of financial theme, who've got up next? Andrew. It's very nice to see Andrew Harding. Welcome. We're meeting really. Come on in. Hi. Good yes. to see you. Uh, nice to see uh, everybody tuned in. Andrew, thank you for uh, your contribution on the panel. Can I, can I ask you a question? Um, if I want access as a company mm -hmm. to the best FD money, uh, money can buy, but I haven't got much money, what creative solutions exist? <laughs> Because in my dream world, I've got just the best of the best. But, you know, it's tight. There are, there are, there are, there are, there are solutions out there. Ah. There are interim CFOs out there. There are, there, are, there, are, there are management accountants out there running their own businesses ah. who will do that sort of thing for you on an, on an hourly basis. It could be, okay. On a week-by-week -week basis. It, it's accessible. You can, get, you, can, you can access it. Ah. Getting the right person is important. Right. It's a bit more fractional in that sense. Yeah. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't need, you don't need your quarter of a million pound a year CFO mm -hmm. to to ensure your success. Good, you can right. do it on a much more economic basis. Good. So, so we ought to explore those different ways. So, I mean, I'm always interested. It strikes me a lot of businesses go and talk to their advisors sort of one at a time. When, in a parallel universe, they get them all together or. Would that just confuse everybody? You see what I mean? I'm imagining almost the virtual cabinet room. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. I would, what? Particularly entrepreneurs, small businesses, they, they miss having the multi-skill set that a board can bring to them. Right. So, yeah, I, wouldn't it be wonderful to bring all your advisors in at the same time? Is that going to really happen? Mm. Probably, probably not. But you're going to have to do your best and to move around, move around them and speak to them. But you've got to, you know, you have to understand how your business works, yeah. how you make money, and then work with those people so that they complement your vision, mm -hmm. so that they can add what they need to do to make that successful. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. I mean, when you see a business leader not making the most of the relationship with their accountant, what typically are they missing? What, what, what do they fail to see? Well, very, very often they're focused... Very, very often they don't understand what their accountant can do. Mm. So they'll be thinking, my accountant gives me my annual accounts and gives me my tax. Well, you know, Great. Right. That tells you last year. That doesn't actually help you today. Uh -huh. It doesn't help you next week. It doesn't help you next month or next year. Uh -huh. So it's about getting the right finance advice in, the right finance leadership into your business that focuses your business on the future. Uh -huh. A good CFO is there 
to resource the business for success. He's not there to tell you what last year's profit was. Yes. No, yep, yes. right. It's about getting the right resources in the right place at the right time. Isn't my worry, and I'm not talking about my accountant now, Phil, um, every time I pick up the phone, he's going to start, she's going to start charging me money. I'm going to limit the... I'm gonna, uh, I just want to understand how we creatively reframe these relationships so we make the most of each other. That's... You said it all. It's about the relationship. Mm. And it's about, it's about identifying the right person to work with for you so that you have that, you have that synergy, you have a business relationship that works, that works for you. Some businesses do like that idea of, you know, there's the clock running. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll switch it on, I'll switch it off. Others want to have that, that more involved relationship. And I think that's where you get, that's where you get value. And, you know, the, the cost structures on that are not necessarily an hourly, an hourly rate. So, so this is the good side of creative accounting. That's what we're saying, Andrew. I don't talk about creative <laughs> accounting. It can get you into all sorts of bad places. I know. <laughs> Creativity is good. Yeah, OK, OK. Well, we'll leave it there. Andrew Harding, very good to see you. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks very indeed. much indeed. Yeah, cheers for that. Thank you. Uh, now then, um, I've got two more special guests I want to introduce you to. Why don't we, uh, why don't we go with, um, with Tim, Tim Vine, if that's all right? Tim, very nice to see nice you. Nice to meet you too. Morning. And uh, Elite Business Live uh, sort of awaits Dun and Bradstreet. So this is very intriguing, actually, because a lot of what you do seems to be about risk. So t tell me a bit more about that, because risk can take many forms. Absolutely. Um, and at Dun and Bradstreet, we see risk from a financial risk perspective. Right. So will you get paid if you ship goods and services in advance of receiving the money? Mm -hmm. Can you make the right decisions around credit and financial risk? Mm -hmm. But then increasingly regulatory risk. Um, operating in domains and territories and with organisations and people and obviously the horrors that's going on in Ukraine at the moment is shining a spotlight on that right. around sanctions yeah. and sanctioned parties and politically exposed people. So there's different facets of risk that are relevant for both small, medium and large organisations. So, so, so help us bring it to life a bit, Tim, because sometimes when I see big successful firms delivering good platforms, I think, well, yeah, we're a bit small for that. Mm -hmm. Bearing in mind 99% of companies are not large, help us understand how accessible that is and what that looks like at the lower end of the scale. Absolutely. It starts with what we call on-self. So mm -hmm. helping a small business, a startup or a micro or a small, understand what information is held about them yes. that other people would see about them when they're making decisions of whether they should do business with the small business. It's almost so, like a mirror. Yeah, self-education and awareness of what's out there and understanding the profile that's in the public domain. Yeah. So as what, you like, would about your own so what are we consumer about? credit report. So, so beyond credit? Yeah, it would be your financial profile. It would be the kind of demographics around your business, how long you've been in business, the mm. people behind the company and their associated businesses, yeah. uh, anything good, anything bad around yeah. county court judgments and, oh. um, and, and negative, uh, negative payment experiences. Under really, first of all, understanding what other people know about you and see about you. There's a common myth that if you're a non-limited company, partnership or a proprietorship, no one knows anything about you because you have that under lock and key. And while that's true to a point, there is information in the public domain that other organizations can see about you. Right, and you've got that mirror. Yes. Where else can we get it? Um, well, so every small business is entitled to um, kind of access their own company yeah. credit report. Yeah. Um, we're kind of free of charge through public services, as well as then leading into understanding the risk of doing business with others. Interesting. Um, so, so, so on that, where you see companies sort of trip up because they hadn't correctly assessed risk, mm -hmm. tell us about a couple of the different trips. Yeah, okay, so a disproportionate amount of time is spent, maybe in excess of 80%, assessing the risk of who you might do business with, mm -hmm. 
before you're actually doing business with them. Okay, interesting. Hence, yeah. there is no financial risk. Mm -mm -mm. Until you've shipped goods or services, you're not owed anything. There mm -hmm. is no risk position. Okay, whereas? Whereas the risk really sits in the existing book of business. R oh, that's interesting. So yeah, the, yeah. The, the other 20% or less is spent actually managing the ongoing relationships with clients that, where the risk sits. Mm. And I would always recommend flipping it around. Spend some time up front taking on board customers that you know nothing about, but at least as much focus spent on managing the risk of businesses you're doing business yeah. with. Just because you, you know a relationship with them doesn't okay. necessarily mean you know how they're dealing with others. Okay, and, uh, and can we do that without them realising? Because I don't want to upset trust in other ways. You know, I've watched Succession. I know what can happen. Yeah, so the commercial business credit space is very different than the consumer space yeah. where footprints exist about people checking on your own consumer credit file. Right. Um, the same footprint concept. Yeah. Isn't, isn't in, in any way near the same way on business-to-business -business risk assessments. So, so, so uh, other than risk within their existing customer portfolio, what is an example of a big risk that British businesses face, which frankly they don't realise they face? I was talking about this in the panel earlier. I think it's the ongoing kind of rising damp of late payments. Mm -hmm. And um, the... Uh, it's, it's somewhat out of control and it particularly disproportionately impacts small businesses around cash flow. Mm. I think it, connecting together the cash flow of an organisation and the impact on that cash flow as a result of late payment, which can be subject to so many macro factors. Right, so, so who, who, who are the big villains on late payments? Because wasn't the prompt payment code meant to sort this out? <sighs> the prompt payment code... I think is generally held that it hasn't gone far enough. Right. Great principle. It's like a bumper sticker. Great principle. Some organisations voluntarily taking part in, but um, I, not to say it will get to legislation, but somewhere between where it is and legislation, I think, is a step that it can take. The big, in simple terms, big companies paying small companies late has a disproportionately bad impact on small businesses. Right. I mean, it's a really sobering tale. And, and, and in fact, just that reminder, and Guy got us thinking about this, that plenty of great businesses go bust because they run out of money, not because they were bad businesses. Exactly. Yeah. I totally see that. And we see that when we're advising small businesses around how to operate and how to, yeah. how to manage their cash flow and how to open themselves up to manageable levels of risk. Right. So we see what you're doing at Dun & Bradstreet and uh, grateful to you, Tim Vine, for being with us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Really good to see good you. Good to meet now. you. Um, I've got... Uh, one final person I'd like you to meet, uh, and I particularly enjoyed them on the recent panel. Trisha, uh, come and say hello. Hello. Trisha Lacani, how are you today? Very well, thank you, Ollie. As a former redcoat, I approve of your attire today. <laughs> thank you very much. Trisha, um, I'll just put my cards on the table. Business coaches have changed my life uh, for very personal reasons. What do you think you could get from a coach that you can't get from your friends, your colleagues, uh, pe people you know in very different relationships? Well, why, why, why is a coach a bit different? Um, a, a coach is it is different from a mentor. A, a mentor is someone who's done it before. Mm. But in, in my opinion, a coach is someone who's almost like your unreasonable friend. I've got plenty of those already, <laughs> I've got to tell you. But yes, a, I see what you mean. A coach will come up to you and say... You know, you try on your outfit or do anything, say, does my bum look in big in this? Your coach will say, yes, it does. How, let's fix it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fix what would be the next question. But OK, this is interesting. So tell me a bit about Action Coach then, because this, this is a global phenomenon, right? Yes. Hmm. Is there power in the network? Is there a peer-to-peer -peer element to that? Or is it just happens to be global? Do you see what I mean? I'm wondering why the, globe, you know, the global nature makes it a better organisation. Being global, one, it gives us reach. It gives us experience. 
in Action Coach, and the amazing thing about Action Coach is the community of coaches. We can, I can pick up the phone to any Action Coach in the world mm -hmm. with an issue, and they will answer me almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and and it's, it's the community of helpfulness, wanting to succeed and wanting the success of others. So that's good. So, so for example, it might be like I've got somebody facing this issue. Has anybody else faced yeah. this? That's yeah. the thing. Very, very powerful. OK. And then what did you make about that finance conversation that we've just had? What sort of really stood out for you? Uh, the finance conversation was... Uh, People aren't sure about risk. They don't really know what the risk is mm. and, and essentially what can your accountant do for you? Mm -hmm. um, because people look backwards because they, 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 the, the accountant is basically um, someone that they give the accounts to save me some tax mm. and please get it, out, get it off my desk. Mm. Uh, whereas what we're talking about is positive financial forecasting. Look at your numbers, feel safe. Mm. Are accountants risk averse then? Uh, well, I'm an accountant, mm. so we're not always risk-averse, but we're risk-careful. Risk-careful. What does that mean then, Trisha? Uh, that means make sure you don't run out of money. Simple as. You know, if you run out of money, you run out of business. Mm. Uh, so be careful with your money. Look, look at what's coming in. Be realistic about what's coming in mm. and look at what you're spending it on. So now, how, do you, how are you advising people then? Because, I mean... Nobody knows what the future looks like. Mm -hmm. It's very uncertain, very, very vulnerable at the moment. Uh, are we having multiple forecasts? Are we just, are we just making it up as we go along? What, what are your clients doing? Um, my clients have been me with, with, the, with me a while, are forecasting. The forecasting more regularly depends on their business. Mm. Um, the ones that are in, in a, a, a business that's affected by, by the changes globally are forecasting more regularly. They're looking at their numbers, they are looking at their strategy, they're looking at their team, they want to retain their team. Their big, the biggest words to me are, I want to keep my team. Mm. So how do we make that happen? Because in a way, going back to your thought on Action Coach, it would be good, wouldn't it, to understand what businesses like ours were also forecasting around the world. Who can help us do that? Forecasting around the world? Well, I want to find out what my peers in the US, in India, in uh, New Zealand are also forecasting. Because, because you've already given this power of the network thought through yes. Action Coach. And I'm just trying to work out that ought to translate to everyone's business, right? It, it, I mean, okay, in Action Coach... The, the, the easiest, easiest thing, and it's available on Google. If you Google the five ways in Action Coach, top level numbers, mm. and you can create a top level forecast on your business. Yeah. Um, so any business anywhere in the world, if they just Google that, they've got it. Yeah. And then go speak to Action Coach, make, make that happen right. for me. So, so super quick question again. It is about coaching. I'm slightly biased as a fan. <laughs> uh, is it a bit like getting married or something? Or can I sort of dip my toe in the water? Dip your toe in the water. Easy. Really? And, and uh, speak to a, co a, co a coach will give you time. That people go into coaching because they literally want to support other people. Yeah. That, that's the, the heartfelt goal of a coach. Yeah. No, I see that from first hand. Thank you, uh, Trisha Lakani. Really great of you to join us. Thank you very much Thank indeed. Well, Elite Business Live continues. Lots and lots of conversations. Very grateful to our guests so far. We're thinking about how we go global. And uh, lots of questions bubbled up actually in that conversation yesterday. For example, um, what does it mean to have a presence in another country? now that we've all gone increasingly virtual. What's the merit of having so-called 
boots on the ground. And by the way, if you were going to launch in a new market, uh, would you send one of your own passioned team to that market? Or would you hire a so-called local uh, to do the job maybe better than you? So maybe that question will bubble up again. Um, very, very grateful uh, to all of your questions for the panel that have been coming through uh, already on our hashtag EBL2022. Well,